the planner, then you can go ahead and grab your place in Psalm 63. Um, and we'll make a couple of quick stops along the way, but you don't have to have those marked. But if you'd like to know, that'll, that'll be in Psalm 84 and Psalm uh, 43 as well. Then Hebrews and also Romans. Um, if you have a great memory and you're a type A, we'll see. But I'll help you out. We'll, I'll let you know as soon as we get there. There's a, there's a, uh, a Bible verse that, in a, in a song that I've heard all my life, and with it comes a certain imagery, like a, a picture. And so I'll read the verse for you and see if you have the, uh, the, the same imagery maybe that, that I do. So I'll read it. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? So for, for me as a kid, and, uh, and I've worked well with imagery. I have mental pictures when I, when I read. I'm very visual, when I, especially when I, when I read. And this verse was always kind of packaged for me uh, as like a coffee cup verse, a t-shirt verse. It was always a beautiful picture of a doe or a buck that is roaming through the woods. Maybe there's just green pastures and rolling hills, and, and, uh, and, and there's just a crystal clear river little body of water for the deer to go have a drink. It's a really nice, pretty, and cute picture, and then you see as the deer written across the top of it. But as I would begin, as I got a little older and I began to read this verse, I thought this is the exact, this verse seems to say the exact opposite of this picture that I've always either seen or just imagined. And so I'll read it again. As the deer pants for streams of water. So if a deer is panting for water, guess what it does not have? Like guess what it's not doing? It's not drinking water. Right? So as a deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O oh God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, we believe, the, uh, it's, and not, not that I'm a scholar by any means, but scholars and theologians, I guess I should say that, they believe that David uh, wrote Psalm 42 and 43, because we know David wrote Psalm 63, and Psalm 42, 43, 63, and 84 all have very similar uh, language similar style. So Psalm 42 and 43, we understand that, that David is, is heart sick, and he did not seek ease, he did not seek honor in these moments, he sought the presence of God. So it wasn't, you know, restore to me and return to me money, house, security, it was, you're my security, I'll hide in the shadow of your wings. I just desire God. My soul longs for God the way a deer is dying for a lack of water. My soul longs for God. In Psalm 63, David says this. We'll just go Psalm 63, 1 through 8. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I will sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I want to stop there and really kind of ask, um, you know, a big question at the end of, of the message, but I really want to kind of focus here and like, why, why don't we talk of God the way David did here? Like very few of us, you know, will say of God, this is almost romantic, this is almost poetic. 
the way God, the, the way David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary, I've beheld your power and your glory, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll think about you and dwell on you throughout the watches of the night. My soul will cling to you, I'll rest in the shadow of your wings. We don't even use that terminology, most of us, I, I know I, I don't, I certainly don't. But why, why don't we? Why don't we talk about God the way that, that David has? I'm going to give you some examples coming up here in a little bit of other men and women who just long for and thirst for God. In Psalm 84, verse 2, the psalmist writes, My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Now we also know from, that there was a season in David's life, there was a period in his life where he was kept out of the sanctuary. He was not welcome in the temple. Right, so he's, he's running from Saul, he's hiding in caves, he's, he's out and about, but he's not with the body of Christ. He's not, with, he's not fellowshipping with believers. He's not in the temple. And he's writing during this time, you know, where can I go and when can I go and be with God? Desiring to be back in the sanctuary with people singing and praying to God. And so I wonder, do we feel like that when we're not here on a Sunday? If we can't make it for whatever reason, do we have that desire that I just wish I was back at church with a body of believers, people just getting after it in worship, people singing praises to God? Do we have that desire? There's a couple people in my life. Uh, one man, his name was Peter. Uh, he, he's a Chinese man, lived in, in Malaysia. He's passed away now. Uh, love him to death. I don't know if anybody's really impacted my life more than, maybe just as much, but not more than uh, this man did. He owned a restaurant in Malaysia. He housed an underground church, um, fed thousands every month for free with his restaurant, had scripture and Bible verses written on the back of the menus. And so depending on how you would order food, that meant that you were showing up for the underground church. And I'll share more of that, I'm sure, in the future. Uh, side note, that's also what started my hair and beard, uh, because while we were out there, it was always easier to change your appearance if you were sharing the gospel uh, with Malays and with Muslims. In fact, we lose you there. And so if we were ever on the run, change my appearance. That's what, those were his words, and so that's what started my hair and beard. Then I fell in love, and my wife wanted to go. So, uh, but it started doing underground, underground ministry in Malaysia. But Peter had this way of talking about God that I, I really envy. Like, I don't envy of the sin. Like, it was wrong at how I desired. I, he, he was tapped into something that I'm just not tapped into. And I felt like he was always here and I was down here, I just wanted to long for God and talk about God the way this man did. And it was contagious how he, how he would speak of God. Like he would describe food to you, and it's like you knew he had tasted it. Right? So the way he would talk about God, you knew he had had an encounter with, with God. His faith was unmatchable, just unwavering man of God. Hands of the plow, didn't look back, just a phenomenal man of God. That doesn't mean he was perfect, he had his issues, but he was just a a man who just had his vision fixed on Christ and loved the Lord. And I see people like that, and I want that for me. Maybe you have people in your life that, that they're so godly that you just you feel like they're tapped into something, or they have access to something that you don't have access to. Maybe you're that person for somebody. Somebody looks at you in your walk, and they think, gosh, I wish I could know the Scripture the way they do. I wish I could speak of God the way that they do. They always seem to hear from God. They always seem to be in tune with the Holy Spirit's leading. I wish I had that for me. Maybe people say that of you. There were people in the Bible that I look at their walk with God, and I, and I, and I sometimes wonder, 
did they have access to something? And they begin on a grand. The answer to that is no, they don't have access to something. They went on a grand. And many of them, it seems like they weren't, you know, the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. So I don't know if they were even filled with the Holy Spirit. I think they were just following God's lead. So I want to give you uh, a couple examples biblically of some men and women who we tend to view as the Michael Jordan of their, of their day or the Michael Jordan of their past. They were just the best of the best. But I do love that the Bible includes that uh, many of them were murderers, adulterers. You know, they were, they, were, they were drunkards. They had moments where they struggled. And I like that the Bible includes their struggles and not just that they were all-stars. I like that the Bible reveals to us that they're human as well and they made mistakes. So just a few of them. We see Noah. That God tells Noah to build an ark that he was going to flood the earth on account of the wickedness, and this was God's first covenant, that he himself would watch over Noah and his family. And all the while, Noah is pleading with God, hey, i gotta, I got to know, even though people are ridiculing me, I've got to know that you're in this. And if you're telling me to do this, then most certainly I will follow through. Abraham, God establishes a covenant with Abraham that through his offspring, referring to Jesus, that all nations would be blessed. Abraham leaves his country, becomes an alien and a stranger, wandering about, lives in tents for seasons of his life. Galatians tells us that God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. Abraham's constantly, constantly pursuing God to the point where when God tests him, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, reasoning that God can raise the dead. This is a man sold out for the kingdom of God. Moses leads God's chosen people through the Red Sea out of slavery, then spends 40 years in the desert serving a group of stiff-necked, stubborn, idolatrous, adulterous, rebellious people. Everybody's familiar you know, with Moses' ministry, but nobody wants his ministry. I wouldn't be the guy with that. That sounds horrible. I would, I would hate to, to, for God to ask me to do that. But I'm glad he was faithful to it. Maybe I can learn a lesson and be just as faithful as, as Moses. Moses passes on, and his son Joshua fulfills, his, uh, fulfills the covenant and leads the people into the promised land. And, and, and God fulfills his promise to Abraham that his descendants would inherit a spacious land, which was the promised land. And so Joshua leads a lightly armed military into the Canaanite highlands, and God constantly gives them victory. And it's not because that Joshua is a great leader. It's because he's a great follower of God. Maybe he wasn't a bad leader, but he was certainly a better follower of God than he was a leader of people. And based on military numbers and weapons alone, Joshua would never have been able to defeat the Canaanite army. So we have God fighting his battles for him because he just submitted to the will of God. David admires the beauty of God's creation as a shepherd gazing at the stars and pastures. With his belief in God, he kills a bear, a lion, and he kills Goliath. As king, David seeks God in seasons of blessing and in seasons of great pain and suffering and difficulty. God says of David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Can that same thing be said of you and me this morning? God say of, of you, of me, this is a man, this is a woman, this is a child that will do everything I ask them to do. Everything. I send them here, they'll go. I tell them to stay, they'll stay. I nudge on their heart to come to the altar, they'll go to the altar. I nudge on their heart to cross the street, they'll cross the street. Board a plane and go overseas, they'll do it. Nudge on their heart to give, they'll do it. Nudge on their heart to do anything, and they'll do that. This young man, this young woman, they will do anything that I ask them to do. Can that be said of you and me? Are we so sold out for the kingdom of God that God would say that about us? David's son Solomon, 
I like Solomon in, in, in the Bible. He's an interesting case study for me. And, and you know, I, I, my background in college was a little more of the psychology, sociology realm. So I can't stop studying people. I'm studying you right now, as you know. I'm just kidding. I'm not. But uh, but I love I love people. I love studying people. I can't I can't turn it off. I, just, I, I love it. So I read the Bible. I focus on these people and why did God use them and what's unique about this person compared to other people that God has used, maybe even compared to people that God didn't use. We see with Solomon that he becomes king. I don't know if he was a, a young king, but we do know this. God appears to him and says, Solomon, I'll do anything you want me to do. What, would you, what do you want me to do for you? you know, your wish is my command. He doesn't say it that way, but that's really what's happening. What do you want me to do? I'll do anything for you right now. What do you want me to do? And Solomon's response is, well, my father David has passed away, and he was king, so I've inherited the throne, and I'm only a little child. So that's what he says. Solomon says, I'm only a little child, so will you give me a discerning heart? Will you give me wisdom so I can lead these people so they can know right from wrong? Will you give me a heart that is so devoted to you that I can encourage them and teach them and show me how to tell them to, to obey your commands and obey your teachings? And so God's response is, well, since you asked for that, you didn't ask for wealth, you didn't ask for riches, you didn't ask for the for honor, you didn't ask for the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you wisdom so there will be nobody as wise as you now or after you, but I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. So based on wealth alone, you'll have no equal now or ever. On honor alone, now or ever, there will be no one equal to your wisdom. No king will be equal to you. All right, so here's what we know from Solomon. Plenty of people have had bad in life and, and can say of that bad, God is better than this season. God is better than this bad and this bad gift. Well, Solomon has good and says God is better. Again, the belief is held that he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So hear this. In Ecclesiastes, the author, who we believe is Solomon, constantly says, work, chasing money, it's all meaningless. So Solomon, wealthier than anybody in this room, had more land than anybody in this room, more cattle than anybody in this room, a bigger palace than anybody in this room. I think the fact that we call we live in a home is probably a good sign that his palace was bigger than our home. But Solomon had a bigger home, more land, more cattle, more money. I'm trying to be mature here for a second. He had 700 wives, so he had all the physical pleasure inside of marriage that one could desire. And of all of that, he says God is better. And of all of that, he says it's all meaningless. I shouldn't desire any of that more than I desire God. Not the wives, not the cattle, not the land, not the money, not the wealth. Even the wisdom, he says, it's all meaningless. And none of it compares to the greatness of Jesus Christ. Or the greatness of God. After Solomon, we see Hannah. Hannah was barren and praised to God for a son so that she could raise this son to pursue God, to serve God, and encourage others to pursue God. She gives birth to Samuel. Samuel set apart from birth. As he grew, uh, God continued to reveal himself to Samuel. The more Samuel would, would read the scripture, the more, he would, uh, the more God would reveal himself to Samuel. Elijah, Elisha, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, all were men and women fully devoted to whatever God had in store for them. A couple prophets, 
And this is just a, a short list of men in the Bible. And I, there's a point to all this, I promise. The prophets who devoted their lives to proclaim all that God spoke to them, no matter what the earthly consequences would be. Those prophets included Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You get into the New Testament, John the Baptist lives in the wilderness eating uh, wild honey and locusts. It's now his time to go and, and, and preach repentance. Uh, so he does, and he's fully submitted to, to the call of God. His earthly reward for that is he is beheaded. Mary, the mother of Jesus, when told by the angel Gabriel that she was highly favored and that she would give birth to the Son of God, her response was, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then right after that, she sings this song or, or, or has this prayer which clearly lets us know that she had a relationship with God. She wasn't just hearing about God the first time when Gabriel showed up and said, you know, you found favor with God and you're going to bring the Son of God into the world. She had already had a relationship with God and that's made known, that's evident when you read her prayer right after uh, Gabriel speaks to her. Peter, after being reinstated by Jesus, preaches the kingdom of God until his death. His first sermon resulted in about 3,000 uh, being saved and baptized. This is from Acts chapter 2. Uh, I would love personally if 3,000 people were saved and baptized after one of my sermons. Like, that would be incredible. It's never happened. 2,000 happened one time, but never 3,000. Paul, after his conversion, dedicates his life to preaching, teaching, and living the gospel of Jesus. He plants churches, takes care of the poor, receives beatings, and faces prison sentences all for the sake of Christ. Finally, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, 32 through 38, the author of Hebrews lets us know that there were men and women who because of their faith in God would not recant the name of Jesus Christ. And the reward for that was torture, being sawed in two, they were uh, flogged, beaten severely, all because they would not deny that they knew Jesus and that they were longing for Jesus. And then the author of Hebrews adds to that, and the world was not worthy of them. That the world was not even worthy of people that would long for, desire Jesus. They were so sold out for Jesus, so sold out for the gospel, so committed to God, they'd rather face death than deny that they, that they believe in Him. Historically, move aside from the Bible for a second, historically, some men and women who had a desire and longed for God. You have Augustine who writes his book, Confessions. Let me give you a quote from, from his book. It may be kind of hard to understand unless you're fluent in King James or William Shakespeare. So I, I had to read it about 19 times before I could finally understand what he was saying. In his book, Confessions, which is a book that reveals his struggle to overcome his reckless way of life from before he was a Christian. So he's saved and then he writes this book about how he was struggling to overcome, to, to put to death what his flesh was still longing for and still struggling with. But he says this, Belatedly I love thee, O beauty so ancient and so new. Belatedly I love thee. Perceive thou was within and I was without, and I sought thee out there. Unlovely I rushed heedlessly among the lovely things thou hast made. Thou was with me, but I was not with thee. These things kept me far from thee, even though they were not at all, unless they were in thee. Thou didst call and cry aloud, and did force open my deafness. Thou didst gleam and shine, and did chase away my bitterness. Thou didst breathe fragrant odors, and I drew in my breath, and now I pant for thee. I tasted, and now I hunger and thirst. Thou didst touch me, and I burned for thy peace. 
I mean, this kind of comes back to what we talked about earlier. We don't even speak of God in these things. We don't even say that God breathed on us fragrant odors, and I drew them in. And now I pant for more of God. I hunger and I thirst for more of God. And doesn't Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. And if there's no hunger and thirst, what will be filled? Will we be filled with righteousness? What will be the reward for not hungering and thirsting for the presence of God? E. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary to India. Albert Schweitzer was a German-French theologian, philosopher, physician, and medical missionary in Africa. You have Mother Teresa who spent her life in service to the least lost and lonely. C.S. Lewis was a brilliant writer of Christian literature. You have Billy Graham was one of the most well-known American evangelists. Charles Spurgeon was a British Baptist preacher, given the title Prince of Preachers, preached to millions in his lifetime. And you have John Wesley who founded the Methodist movement, all of which are men and women who, who just passionate about the kingdom of God. We understand from Romans chapter 8 that it's not only men and women who long for God. The creation is yearning. Creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for the redemption of all things because they're part of that, all things that will be redeemed and renewed. And so I'm going to end it here. And I know this message is really a crescendo. It just keeps going, 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 and then we just stop. But I'm going to end it with a question. Give you seven days to think about it, and then we'll answer the question next week. It's just a little bit of a cliffhanger. But my question is not, biblically, have men and women longed for, yearned for, desired God, and even said, I desire you the way a deer is dying and desires water? So have men and women in the Bible longed for, prayed for, communion in the presence of God? My question is not, historically, have men and women longed for and been submitted to the will of the Father? My question is not, does creation long for the sons of God to be revealed? Does creation long for that communion and that right relationship with God? No, my question is, why don't we? So I spent 25 minutes today building this case for why don't you and I long for God? What is it? We pursue more than Him. What is it you long for, hunger for, thirst for, desire more than the presence of God? And what will be the reward if you get that from God? What eternal significance will all of your striving and your pursuit of something that is vanity, what will your reward be eternally if God gives you that? God is the only pursuit that we have that is not Solomon would say is everything is, is meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Money, stuff, anything. And yet when we'll exhaust ourselves on things that cannot sustain our joy, they can't save us, they don't even benefit other people. Is it selfishness? Is it selfish ambition? Why don't we long for, yearn for more of God? Maybe some of us we do. Some of us, maybe we don't long at all, yearn at all for God. Maybe we would love to speak of God the way David did, and we just don't. And why is that? That's a good question, friends. Well, I'm glad you asked. We'll focus on that next week. Uh, and I hate to do it to you. We're going to end it like that, and let's pray.
God, stir amongst us this morning and make us aware. God, press on us. God, I pray that there's nothing that we pursue more than you. Nothing wrong with pursuing food and drink. Nothing wrong with pursuing marriage, desiring children. Nothing wrong with working hard and enjoying our work. All of those are gifts from you. But God, I do pray that we don't pursue any of those things more than you. That we don't fall in love with anything more than you. Lord, if we have, press on us. Reveal that to us. Help us to at least confess that to you. God, I pray above all things you're glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.